from several perspectives, I'm honored to be teaching here at Drisha, which has done so much to blaze very important trails for education for all, and has really set a uh, tremendous standard, uh, both in Chutzlaretz and even for Israel. But I'm also honored to be honoring the memory of a fellow Baltkia, and I'm, I'm being presumptuous by saying fellow Baltkia because I'm sure he's far better than I am. It was interesting that for the first time in years, just a week or two, two weeks ago, um, through the glory of the internet, suddenly a huge dispute arose about the length of a tkia. And uh, it comes to mind because we're honoring your father who's a Baltkia. And the Rambam in says that even though the mitzvah, the shofar, is a divine decree, rem is yeshpo. It has an important hint. And the hint is, Wake up, those of you who slumber. It's a clarion call to tshuva. It's most appropriate that we are studying the book of Yonah. But, I'm going to ask the question from the get-go. What is the message of Sefer Yonah? I'm going to ask it on two levels. My goal is that by 7.22 or so, um, to hopefully provide at least some reasonable suggestions as to answers to both these questions. The first question is, what is the message of this book? What is the point of this book? And I'll illustrate in a moment why that question is a little larger than we think. The second question is, why is this book read on Yom Kippur in the afternoon? If the purpose of the book is to inspire us at the last moment to do yet more tshuva, then there are passages from Yoel, there are passages from Yirmiyahu, there are passages from Yechezkel, that are far more compelling, and if you will, perhaps a little bit more frightening. They might motivate us at that moment. Instead, we turn to this very short book of Yonah. So in order to understand and hopefully answer those questions, we've got to study the text. Thank God. I'll ask you to bear with me because it's very hard for me to teach a text without teaching about teaching the text. So there'll be a lot of parentheses in the middle. And we'll talk about how we're supposed to approach a text. What are the different questions we need to ask? What do we need to look for? What little hints in the text might be driving the message of the text? And then we'll dive right back into the text. I'll start by asking this question. And feel free to participate, please. We're learning Torah together. What sort of book is Yonah? And I ask that because if you look at Tanakh in a broad, a broad spectrum, there are numerous genres of literature that exist. What are some of the genres that we have in Tanakh? Hmm? Wisdom literature. Very good. So, Eo, Mishlei, Kohelet, parts of Tehilim, wisdom literature. And the truth is, it's strewn throughout other parts of Tanakh, but those are the books that chiefly, what we call Safut al-Chachmah. Very good. What else? Prophecy. Prophecy. Now, prophecy is me a little tricky, 
So which books, when you say prophecy, which books are you referring to? Jeremiah. Good. Exactly. And you wouldn't say Shmuel, even though Shmuel is considered part of Nevi'im. We have this weird division, because I have no idea where it came from, of Nevi'im Yishonim and Nevi'im Melchonim. So guys in Yeshiva think, or the Nevi'im Yishonim, they were before the 5th, 14th century. <laughs> but, but the Nevi'im the set that we call the Nevi'im Yishonim, the first half of Nevi'im, the first four books, are not what you're referring to. You're referring to Yishayal, Yirmiyah, Yechezkel, and Treyasar, which are books of prophecy. If you open up, just, I'll do this for fun. Okay, here's Yirmiyah. I'm flipping to a page in Yirmiyah, and there's prophecy. Hashem is speaking to Yirmiyah and telling him either go do this, or go tell the people that, or go say this to the king, or go send this message to those who have been exiled above that, as an example. It is Nebuah. Now, truth to tell, in Sefer Yeshaya, a little bit, in Sefer Yumiya, a lot, in Sefer Yechezkel, quite a bit, a little bit in Hosea, a little bit in Haggai, a bit in Zechariah, you have biographic interludes, where the stories told about the prophet as a person. But they're all there around the prophecy. And the main point of those books is prophecy. Meaning you open up and you're reading Hashem's word to the Navi, and the Navi delivering it, and of course, the Navi coming out, we'll come back to this, with a success rate of zero. <laughs> Hovering around zero. We'll make it a little churn. Give me all my for a couple days. For a day. It's a small success rate. We also have other books that we call Nevi'im, which are part of what is one of the two largest genres in Tanakh, which is what we call Siporet, or narrative. Breshit, Hathrishmot, uh, a little bit of Sveikra, a lot of Amidbar, Yoshua, Shoftim, most of Shmuel, most of Malachim, is all narrative. And then, of course, Israel Chemiah and Israel Yamin, all narrative, telling us stories, telling us the history, from a particular perspective. What we might call a historiosophy, history with an agenda. Okay. What's Yoda? Satan. Say again? Satan. Uh, maybe, okay. What genre though? That might, might be the nuance. Here's the problem. You open up Sefer Yonah, which is in the Nevi'im, you figure you're going to read in those 48 psukim, maybe on, using an average, 40 to 42 psukim worth of prophecy, you're going to hear Hashem's word to Yonah, and Yonah delivering it to whoever his audience is, and of course the success rate of next to zero. And you're surprised to find that in all 48 psukim of Sefer Yonah, how much of it is Nivuah? Five words. Five words. It's very strange. So how do we categorize this book? What's the rest of it? What's the other 47 and a half psukim? It's a story. It's a narrative. And it's a weird narrative because this narrative takes a little piece from Abraham, but goes crazy with it, which is it's basically a dispute between the Navi and Hashem. Now, do we have a precedent for a dispute between the Navi and Hashem? Yes, we do. I gave one away just now. But where else? Moshe. 
Avram, Moshe, Eliyahu, Yumiah at the beginning, Yeshayahu at the beginning, Yechezkel seemingly towards the beginning, sort of reticence. And all of those disputes, though, that we mentioned, save for that of Abraham, are all disputes about what? Except, we're cut a couple of exceptions in Moshe's case, they're all disputes about my worthiness as an agent. Said with a very clear diction. But this dispute is all different. This dispute, that's why I said, seems to take a little page from Abraham. Which part of Abraham? Stone. And disputes God on the very way that God runs the world, except takes it to a crazy degree. Abram negotiates, and at the end, seems to come out okay. Turns out there's nobody in Stonewood saving, so that's how it plays out. But Yonah doesn't go there. This is a very strange book. Now, along the road, and this is being, taped, uh, this is being recorded audio, so I can't do this, but what I would do in class when it was just us is I would hold up three fingers like this. What letter is this? Shin. Shin, I know, but in English? It's a W. Okay, W here stands for weird. Right? As high school, sorry. Um, when when we we see stuff in this book that seems unusual, that seems bizarre, that seems not to fit what we know about Tanakh, I'll hold this up. And we'll all just together say weird. We're going to see how big the list gets. I'll come to a conclusion about that towards the end. Let's take a look at the book. Now we're going to study Prakim Aleph Gimel and Probably we'll be speeding up when we get the dollar. But we're not doing Parapet, I'll tell you why. Look at Parapet for a moment, you have it there. What is Parapet? It's a prayer. It's a prayer that you'll now praise while inside the fish. If you look at the prayer, there is no mention of fish or any other food um, or any other residents. There is no mention, there's a faint allusion to drowning. There is no mention of Yonah's running away or coming back, which leads us to consider that this tefillah, like other tefillot that we have in Tanakh, or she wrote that we have in Tanakh, was not composed on the occasion, it was rather borrowed. Let me illustrate this with another example that's really quite clear. Just last week, we read Tefillat Chana. Chana miraculously has the baby, well, a couple years later, or whatever, however long passes, she brings him to Eli, hands him over, and says this Tefillat. Did Chana compose the Tefillat for that purpose? I would really hope not. Because I like Chana. He's a heroine. And to think that this heroine would wish that all of the children of her co-wife would die is a little bit beyond what I would like from a hero. What is the line about childbirth? Ad akara yadashiva verabat That the barren one has seven, which doesn't happen for Hana anyways, and the one of many children is now mourning, because they're all dead. So the simplest read of it, besides the fact that the rest of the tefillah has nothing to do with childbirth, and most of it's about war, 
is that there was a tefillah that existed, a shirah that existed, that people were familiar with, that was about the topsy-turvy nature of life. And the examples of it, chiefly drawn from warriors and from wealth, also mentioned that the barren one suddenly has children, and on the other hand, there's a woman who might have lots of children that now is mourning a loss. And so she borrowed that tefillah because it fit her station, and there was a lining of the Akara. It's not unusual. Think about what we do. If lolling in the middle of Shacharit, so we're at Shul, in the middle of Shacharit, we get a text. We, of course, do not look at it because we don't look at our cell phones. They're not but if it buzzes three times or four times, the light flashes three or four times, we think it might be an emergency. We look at it and find out that Law Lenu, in some other city, a dear friend or relative, has suddenly been rushed to the hospital. So what do we do? And I picked the middle of Shakri for a reason. You've already said Shimon Esri. So let's say Uvalatsil. So what do you do? You come up to the Gabai or to the Valtzibor and say, Can we please say? A parak of Tillot with a Mishabera and a name. Do we ask the Shleyat to compose a prayer for Uncle Mori on the spot? No, we don't. What do we do? We borrow pre-existent filot. By the way, typically ones that have very little to do with being sick, like Shirla Ma'alot and Mimamatim, right? Or not about that. But we pick ones that are familiar, and we all say them, and we have Mishabera with the name. So it's not uncommon to take filot that exists. That seems to be what Yonah does here, and it also is not integral to the text. You can read the text, Perak Aleph, first Pasuk of Perak Bet, last Pasuk of Perak Bet, and go on, and never miss a stitch. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Let's get started. What's missing from this Pasuk? Who Yonah is, where he's from, but most critically, out of nowhere. There's no background. Why is God speaking to this guy, to this man who we will later learn as a Navi? Now, truth to tell, there is a Yonah ben Amitai in the historic record in Malachim Bet Perak Yodalit, who is presented as a Navi Migat HaChefa, which is a town in the territory of Zivulun, which is why Chazal consider him to be at least partially a descendant of Zivulun, maybe also Asher. And... Um, and he gave prophecy about a particular land war uh, that the king, Yeravam, would win, gaining back territory from Aram. And that's recorded there that Yeravam did it, just as the Navi said he would. But here we're not given any, given any information or any background about who he is. Now, important rule, I'm going to go parentheses now. Important rule about studying Tanakh. Tanakh, among many other things, is scaffold. Scaffold. Scaffolding meaning that there is a lower layer, and you might consider it a foundational layer. There is an upper layer which overlays. And so you should not be surprised to find in Sefer Devarim clear allusions to Sefer Bereshit. You will not find in Sefer Devarim clear allusions to Sefer Yishad. Can't go up. Has to go down. I mean, has to go backwards in time. And the reason is because Sefer Dvarim, which is a great example, which is another genre, it's the genre of Neum, the speech, is one of which Moshe is talking to people who know the stories of Rashid. It's their family history. And therefore utilizes images and words that will connect them with the story in Rashid to create a connection. So for instance, 
when Moshe teaches in Sefer Dvarim the law about inheritance, how does he present it? He does not say a Bechor gets double portion. What does he say? And you can imagine several kids like, oh, I know who that is, Moshe, come call me. Good, good. We all got it. Wink, wink. Okay, extra credit. And so therefore, you should not be surprised, besides overt reference and explicit references to Torah Moshe in Yehoshua, besides that, to find allusions to things in the Torah in Yoshua, in Shoftim, to find that in Sefer Malachim there are references back to Yoshua. The biggest example of this, of course, is Megillah Esther, because it's one of the latest books in Tanakh. And it's filled with allusions and references to earlier books in Tanakh. Tanakh is capital, which means when you read a later book in Tanakh, you should see yourself as someone who is steeped in all of the books earlier than that. And what, what is this word trying to connect me to? What is this word trying to uh, what will connect, what, what association or illusion is the text trying to create for me? So the minute you hear Yonah, what comes to mind? Noah. Noah. Good. When Noah comes to mind, what else comes to mind? Destruction. A boat story. By the way, how long was the flood? 40 days. 40 days, good. Okay, so keep that in mind. So right away, I got this Noah thing going. Okay, Yonah. Now, Yonah is Yonah ben Amitai. Yeah, that's his name. But we're not told anything else about him, so why the focus on his last son, his father's son, his patron? What does Amitai mean? Truth. Yonah's the man of truth. So let's get ready for a big, healthy dose of truth. Is that ironic or not? We'll see. Okay. Cool. It's important to point out, I've closed the parentheses on that, Court would to point out that every word in Tanakh is a polished gem, it's a polished jewel. It is written the way it is, and things are stated and things are omitted in order to teach multiple lessons. The job of the Midrash, the Midrashim through the ages, is to mine the text for more lessons. But what is the original text trying to allude to that's what we got to figure out. Kum leich el ninveh ha'ir ha'gadolah. I said, for a minute, I'm going to take us back to the ancient world. Although we're going to keep going back over the course of this study. In maps that we're familiar with, what direction is up? North. But in ancient maps, up was east. The most famous ancient map that we have that concerns us is, of course, the Medva map. That is now in the Amman Museum and in the Medva map. Because it's running on it, east is up and west is down. Okay, where is Yonah? Yonah is, we'll assume, somewhere in the Zvulun territory, in the lower Galil. Hashem says to him, Kum lech el Ninveh. Kum means get up. Get up and go. But get up and go to Ninveh. Now, where's Ninveh? Got a little geography on this. Where's Ninveh? Iraq. Near what modern day town that you don't want to be anywhere near? Mosul. Mosul. Right. So right next to Mosul, the, the, uh, the famous dig, we have an idea of how big the city was, Ninveh. Ninveh was the capital of Ashur, and if this is the same Yonah, which you have every reason to think it is, as in Malachim, this is taking place in the middle of the 8th century BCE, the Hainu, several decades before Assyria comes and destroys the northern kingdom. 
conquers and, and takes everyone into exile, and we don't see these Shvatim anymore. Kum, Lech El we're going to come back to the Kum in a minute, Ukra Aleha. So what does Hashem tell Yonah to do? Get up, to, to, get up, go to Nineveh, and make a declaration. What's the declaration? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Hashem told him, and it's not in here. Maybe Hashem said, get there and I'll tell you. Maybe you'll understand on your own what it is. We don't know. But kum lechem kraleha is itself the first big W we got in this text. A point about Sefer Yonah. Sefer Yonah shares with another very well-known text in our literature the same challenge. And the text is the story of Kamsa Bar Kamsa, etc. All of the Agadot HaKorban. What is the big challenge of Kamsa Bar Kamsa? Everybody knows Kamsa Bar Kamsa. You know what the challenge is? When do you learn Kamsa Bar Kamsa? Tishabah. And you don't learn Tishabah at night. You learn Tishabah in the afternoon. And how do you feel Tishabah in the afternoon? Spacey. Which means when you read the story, it's like, oh, okay, right? And it's all about Sinat Chinam because all Tishra is always about Sinat Chinam and there's nothing else. Of course there's something else. If you look at the story carefully, there's much more going on. The problem is we read it and we're so convinced we know it well because we hear it every year. We always read it when we're fasting, so we don't really think about it critically. Sefiona has the same problem. We read Sefiona every year. Sure, at the end of Yom Kippur. We hear Yona, we think pagans. <laughs> or maybe, stop. So, that's why I'm trying to take it, the opportunity. And I always teach Kamsa for Kamsa, month before Tishra. It depresses the heck out of everybody. But at least they understand it. Um, that's why I want to take a look at Yonah now. This is the first big W. Where do we ever find Hashem sending a Navi to a non-Jewish nation? Do we ever find Hashem sending a Navi to a non-Jewish nation? So you should first throw at me the beginning of Amos. Yeah, but he's not talking to them. He's talking to Shomron. He's talking to the, to the Israel, Israelite kingdom. And saying, Hashem's going to get them for that, and them for that, and them for that, and, and wow, is he going to get you. Yeah? Dylan does go to Moab. Yeah, but what's, what is Nebuah? Nebuah means agency, right? Hashem is sending and saying, here's a message to give. So when does Hashem ever send a Navi to a non-Jewish nation? Well, better than that, how about Moshe? Right? Moshe, Paro. Why is, it, why is Moshe sent to Paro? In other words, he sent for B'nai Israel. That's it. So when do we ever find a Navi sent to a non-Jewish nation to do a classic prophetic move of moving them to Tshuva? It doesn't exist. And I'll make the W, if I can make my fingers go bigger, weirder, is this isn't just a regular non-Jewish nation. This is Assyria, who a few decades hence is going to come and destroy us. The Barbanel in his commentary says, it's wild. He says, look, if the people of Ashur, of Nineveh, continue to sin, then Hashem has to, and I'm always uncomfortable whenever you say the word Hashem, it has to in the same sense. Hashem has to destroy them. 
But if he destroys them, he's already declared that Ashur is Shevet Api, is my, the rod of my anger. And he has to be able to use Ashur to punish Israel. So therefore, he has to get Ashur to do Tshuva so that they can somehow be spared so they can then go destroy on Israel. Theological pretzel, maybe? A little twisty. A little difficult. It's very strange. There's another big W coming up in a moment. But in the meantime, we've got this. What's the reason I'm sending you? Which means their evil has come up to me. Breshi, please, where's that from? What? Migdalavel and stone. Stone. The evil is so bad it's crying out in here in heaven. Which may be hinting to us what these people are doing. Maybe they're mistreating the poor, as Yechezkel says it was the sin of stone. Maybe they're plotting against God, as perhaps is what Migdal Lavel is. But there's again an illusion, and by the way, if we connect it to either one of those places, most obviously stone, because we get a lot more details about it, what do we know is going to happen to these people? Scored through it. Destruction. All right. Now, by the way, let's say that the, the fellow who shelled out a lot of money to read this story Wednesday afternoon, or whose friend shelled out a lot of money so that they could read it this afternoon, starts coughing at this point. All right, so he goes, And in the meantime, that's all as far as you've gotten. What do you think has happened? Look at Pasuk Bet, look at Pasuk Gimel. He's doing what God says. He's doing exactly what God said. He gets up. And now, Livroach Tarshisha. This is misdirection. He gets up, but goes the other way. Livroach Tarshisha. And where's Tarshish? You're right. I don't know. You don't know. But we do know that it's somewhere in the Mediterranean. It could be on the southern coast of Turkey. It could be Gibraltar. It could be somewhere else. We know it's in the Mediterranean. The main point of it is Tarshish could be in Spain. It, it, what, what do we know about it? It's in the exact opposite direction. Nineveh is by land, this is by sea, that's east, this is west. Possibly, but we don't have a, a, a nail on it, but for our purpose it doesn't even matter. It would be lovely to figure out where it is, and this passage in Yeshayahu, we love to connect on the But for this purpose, we see that he's going in the exact opposite direction. Immediately from out the line. Why is he going there? It's very clear he's running away from God. Big W! <laughs> running away from God? Gracie? Really? Now, we're not talking about the Virginian. We're talking about a Navi. Somebody who Hashem speaks to and trusts with the mission. What sort of person do you have to be to be a Navi? God-fearing, is that enough? Righteous, okay, these are all spiritual and moral qualities. Is there anything else? So, so the Rambam, besides Ashir, correct, the Rambam points out the tremendous theological sophistication with which a Navi must be imbued before he can even achieve that rank. Chochmah, Chochmah Elohit. Are you telling me that a guy who understands what God's about thinks he's going to run away from God? 
So there's an interesting suggestion that's made. Running away from God means to run out of Eretz Yisrael because you can't have Nebuah outside of Eretz Yisrael. Oh, really? Tell me about Moshe Rabbeinu. Well, that was before uh, Kibbutz Haaretz. Really? Tell me about Yechezkel. Well, Yechezkel already had Nebuah in Israel. Yes, so did Yonah. Third of all, Yonah is supposed to go where to give his Nebuah? Ninveh. You're telling me Ninveh is never Eretz Yisrael? No. So that doesn't seem to solve the problem. What is he doing? Well, the truth is, he's going to tell us what he's, what he's doing in the fourth paragraph. He'll explain his actions, and we'll get to that. Vayered Yafo. Now, please remember what I said at the map. Because remember, he's supposed to be going up, Vayakum Yonah, and then he goes down to Yafo. Now, the truth, the truth is that from almost any point in Israel to go to Yafo, and I love Yafo, it's a beautiful place, um, but to go to Yafo is down. It's down because anytime you go to a port, you're going to the sea level. Even if you're starting your Yericho, you've got to go up and then go down. So, Vayera de Afo is altitudinally accurate. Don't say that too many times, it hurts. But still, why not Why not just say Vayera de Afo? Or just Yafo? Vayimtsa unia ba'atar shish vayten schara vayere ba'lavoi mahem tashisha. He comes to Yafo, which we know is a port city. We know it by illusion, by the way, in Shirat Torah. Take a look. Um, and uh, and he finds a boat going to Tashish. Baitain Schara. What does that mean? So simple shot is he pays for a ticket. But as we discover later, there seems to be a cargo boat, which means they don't sell tickets to passengers. So Chazal are sensitive to this and say instead of scharo, it says schara. Scharo means his fare. Schara is schara shal So those who suggest he actually bought the whole boat, not just bought the the boat, but bought the travel. That's all on me. Which is not shocked, but the Midrash is trying to make a point here of saying that he is so desperate to get away from God, he's willing to spend all this money to get a boat so he can get out. Let's see. Now notice, what does he do? Vayered Ba. So it's Vayered Yafo and Vayered Ba. So he starts in Gatachay, he's supposed to go up to Ninveh, instead he goes down to Yafo, he goes down to the boat. Now by the way, going down to the boat also makes sense, because you have to step off the pier into the, into the boat. It is Vayered. But why say Vayered? So we'll see. Now, one of the constant messages throughout this Sefer, without question, is God has got lots of agents. He's got a tree, he's got a worm, he's got a wind, he's got a boat, he's got a, a, a fish, he's got the storm, he's got lots of agents. It's a story that replicates itself, by the way, in the Agadah of Titus, which is in both of us. So, Vazunai, Hitil Ruach Dolai Ohayam. Now, pay close attention to that word, Hitil. What is Lahatil? And again, every word of Tanakh, precious, polished gem. What is Lahatil? It means to cast down. To cast down. I want you to notice how this entire parak is a roller coaster. It's up and down. Go up to Ninveh, goes down to Yafo, down to the boat, and Hashem now throws down a, uh, a, a storm. 
והאינסר גדול בים. והאונייה חישבה להישבר. פואטיק לייסנסיר, ובוט מסתכלים עליו, אין גשם ברק. חישבה את זה. ובוט מסתכלים עליו, אין גשם וינראו המלאכים, and now we're going to meet a group of people. This group of people shows up twice, sort of, in our story. First, in the guise of malachim. Now, malachim are sailors. From the word salt, malachim. These malachim, in no way related to the word malachim, it's called differently of angels. These malachim are clearly, from the get-go, they're pagans. And the whole group of different pagans, the U.N. of pagans. I guess the U.N. Uh... And we generally aren't big fans of pagans. As a matter of fact, one of the consistent agendas of Tanakh is to make fun of paganism. Look at Shmuel Alephay as a real good example of making fun of paganism. But it's all over. It's all over Tanakh. These, these guys are presented, as you will see, as paragons of virtue. It's another big W. It's actually a small W, but it's a W nonetheless. So, so far we've got three weird things. They're all afraid of this storm. Each one calls out to whom? His own God. Remember, again. By the way, means they're calling where? They're calling out. So they're calling up. In the meantime, what are they doing? They're throwing the cargo down. Okay? This constant moving. And by the way, why is the text doing that? Because the text is trying to give you the feeling of up and down and up and down. And please don't get seasick on it. That's what's going on in this boat. Look how beautifully the poetry of Tanakh puts you into the moment. In order to lighten the load, they throw the stuff off. And by the way, what are these guys doing? These guys are doing two things. They're praying and they're taking action based on physics, based on physical reality. That sounds sneakily like our approach to everything we do in our lives. We go to the doctor, and we send them a shiver. We put on a uniform and learn how to shoot a gun, and make sure to carry it safe at home with us. We understand that it's our job to do what the Balei Musar like to refer to as Ishtad Lut, and to understand that all of our Hishtalut, without Hashem's help, it's nothing. And it's ultimately after Hashem. It's our job to do our bit. These guys are doing that. These guys are doing the Jewish approach. And by the way, what do we do first? They throw the stuff over or they pray first? Well, I don't know what they do first, I don't know what it says. It says they pray first. I love these guys. So now, let's just start on a simple level of mensch You have booked passage on a boat. The boat is now at sea, and suddenly it is storm-tossed, and everybody is freaking out. They're throwing stuff overboard, they're crying, everything. What do you do? I'll take a nap. By the way, how do you sleep through this? Nobody asked that question. I don't know. Have you lost your mind? I mean, this itself is weird. But I want to recount it because it's part of a much larger weird. Which is when you contrast the behavior of the sailors with the behavior of Yonah, 
Throughout this entire chapter, Yoda comes out looking like a terrible guy. Not just theologically confused, but ethically corrupt. And they look like good guys. Kind of weird. I want to point something else out. Kum lech. Vayered yafo. Vayered ba'oniyah. Vayered al yarkete hasfina. Vayishkav vayered dam. How do you say to sleep in Hebrew? Vayishan. And Vayishkav Vayishan would have made sense. Why Vayiradam? What's the difference between Tardeman and Shena? So you could point that Tardeman might be a deeper sleep. Like the passage in Shmuel Al Chava with Tardeman Hashem Naflalim. It could be. Or if I have Tardeman with Adam, like something so deep you don't even know that you're being attacked. Okay. But notice, you could have said Vayishkav Vayishan, it would have given the same effect. Why Vayiradam? Because Vayiradam is Vayiradam. And this is a phenomenon that we're familiar with in Tanakh. Many places, I've two quick examples. It's a phenomenon referred to as, sorry, this is parentheses again, as Shloshavi Arba'a, or the three plus one, where something happens three times, and it's not resolved, and on the fourth time it's resolved. Quick example, Shimshon and Delilah, everybody's favorite couple, and Delilah says to Shimshon, Oh, come on, what's your strength? And he lies to her. What's your strength? He gives her another lie. What's your strength? What's your lie? Right, he gives her another lie. And then, blah, 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 blah. Okay, he tells her the truth. Shmuel is lying there and thinks that Eli is calling him. Yes, Eli. Yes, Eli. Yes, Eli. Three times he's wrong. Four times he gets it. Three times Shimshon lies. And this is something consistent through Tanakh. And well documented. Yar Zakharis did his doctoral dissertation on a two-volume piece called Al Shloshavi Al Arba'ah, documenting this phenomenon in Tanakh. And that's what happens here. Vayered, 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 Dam. Because what does Yonah really want to do? You really want to go to sleep, but now let's talk about that. Now, Tanakh, and again in parentheses, Tanakh is fond of playing with words. Tanakh is also fond of utilizing words that a teacher of mine referred in a different context to as an equivoke. An equivoke, the way he defined it, is a word that has multiple meanings. Equivocal. The word shachav is an equivoke. It has four different meanings in Tanakh. Uh, one euphemism, the other three are all related to each other, but they're different. What are the four meanings of, of shachat in Tanakh? Right? To have relations with. That's the euphemistic one. Right? Because Tanakh, does, we don't have explicit words for that. What else? Die. What else? To lie down. And to actually sleep. Right? Now, which meaning is pshat here? Which meaning is on the surface level of what you're reading? By Yishkan, by Yeradam, he lays down and falls asleep. But here it's hinting to us what Yonah really wants. Now, I would never be so brazen as to suggest this about anybody. Except Yonah later tells us explicitly what he wants, which is he wants to die. So by Yered, by Yered, by Yered, by Yered, he wants to die. He doesn't want to be in God's world. 
Alright, we've got to figure out why. He's going to tell us later on, but his answer is going to be very strange. But you see already from the beginning, there's lots of foreshadowing, lots of little pieces that are thrown out there for us to pick up on, and then once we get the whole story, we can look back at it and say, oh, I can see how his personality, his approach, his attitude, his dispute, his position is already being developed here and presented. Okay. Pasukvah. God has lots of agents. Vaikrai love Rav HaChobel. Who suddenly comes and approaches Yonah? Rav HaChobel. Who's Rav HaChobel? It's the captain. Why is the captain called Rav HaChobel? What kind of boats are we talking about? Sailboats. How do you run a sailboat? With the ropes. The guy in charge of the ropes is Rav HaChobel. The big rope guy. So, Vaikrai love Rav HaChobel. Notice what he says. Vayomer lo malachan yirdam. Which means, what did the captain say to him? So the captain, we know what the captain said. Just a secret. I don't know if we can stop recording for a second. Just a secret. What the captain really said was, Because we know they all spoke Yiddish. And this is just a Hebrew translation. I mean, it's always a question whenever you find some non-Hebrew speaking person talking in Tanakh, what are they really saying? You notice, by the way, that's just a side little hint for fun six months from now. Uh, there is not one single conversation between any two Hebrew speakers in the Gilad Esther. All right, think about that. Okay. Malacha um, Nirdam, why are you sleeping? Now, what does he say? Kum Kra. I'm going to stop with that. Kum Kra. When's the last time Yonah heard Kum Kra? Hashem said to him, Kum Kra. I'm going to run away from Hashem. So here comes the captain saying, Kum Kra. But notice how much of a circle we're creating. Hashem says to Yonah, Kum Kra El Ninvei, and now, Kum Kra El Elohacha. You call out to God. And by the way, where is Yonah right now? He's gone down, down, down. What does the captain want him to do? Call up, up, up. And he's working still on the pagan model, which is, there's a lot of guys out there, one of them's doing this storm, let's just shoot a lot of arrows and hopefully we'll hit something. So you call out to your God. Okay? Now, we don't know what Yonah does as a result. Turns around, goes back to sleep, says no, no, no. We don't know. So the scene seems to shift to the deck again. And the guys are there, and the storm is getting worse, and evidently throwing off the cargo didn't help, and calling out all the different gods didn't help. There are some who suggest this is the reason it's read on Yom Kippur, because the Goral and kind of a weak connection. We'll, we'll do that. Let's do a goral so we can find out what? Which means, what is the presumption? What is the, the starting point of these sailors? What's the story about? Divine disfavor. It is not some sort of climactic accident. It's not something Al Gore cooked up. <laughs> If God is angry at which God and who's he angry at that we've got to figure out so everybody's calling out to their God and now let's see who the guy who's in trouble is who's the, who's the, who is the cause of this but they're clear, it's clear to them there's somebody on the boat who's angered one of the gods and as a result of that this storm is happening and we're all in danger right? that's their starting point by Pilagoralo which of course wakes up so many associations for us with Miguel Adastair but Really, I mean, we have to work backwards from the study here. 
We're not surprised. You knew that was going to happen. And now I want to step back. You are one of these sailors. And you're going through all of this craziness. And then suddenly, after all of this, you notice there's one guy who was never with us, who came on board in, uh, in Yafo as a passenger. We're all, we're all sailors who work the boat. He's a passenger. Where is he while the place is going crazy? They're slow. And now, the lottery points to him. What's your reaction? What do you think? What's the easiest conclusion to come to? He's the guy. So you could do one of two things. Immediately throw him overboard. Or else say, confess your sins and throw him overboard. Listen how great these guys are. They read the Goral as pointing to him and saying, he's got, he's got inside info. He's got some inside info. Find out from him who's the cause, what's going on. Notice what they ask him. Four different ways of saying, who are you? Which probably would be very nice if we knew that, because we weren't told that at the beginning. What land is he from? What nation is he from? What's his job? One? Refers back to, to a root connection. Um, how so? Please continue. Just in terms of uh, Naomi saying to Ruth, uh, oh. "Where are you going?" Where's, uh, I'll, 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 so that's Ruth's response to Naomi. Naomi just told her to bug off several times. But what's the real question here? What are they asking him? Because he seems to be asking the same thing four times. What are they really asking him? Who's your, Who's your God? Because that was often something associated either with an ethnic connection, um, with a geographical connection, arts, even with a livelihood. And so they say, Who's your God? Because trying to figure out, well, your God is somehow connected to this because the lottery fell on you. Let's see if we can work it out. They really don't want to do anything to this guy. Alright? Vayomer Lehem but notice, he says Ivri. Ivri, not Israeli, not Zvuloni, which would have helped us know that. Ivri. Ivri is a term used consistently through Tanakh when referring to Jews, even when Jews refer to themselves as the other. When Shaul tries to get the, um, the uh, Jews who have hidden out to come join him in the war against the Plishti, he says, Yishmu Ivri. When Avram goes to war against the other kings, it's Avram Ha'ivri. When Moshe first approaches Paro, it's Elohim Ha'ivri. It's the other. It says, Ivri Anoch, I'm from a whole different world than you. Ve'ev Adonai Elohim Which God do I fear? Which God am I loyal to? <laughs> sort of, kind of, maybe. Not really. Not at all. Um, the God of heavens, who is the name, Hashem. Asher Asat Ha'yam by the way, is a killer because it means there's nowhere to run. So what are you doing? Okay, we've got to figure that out. Now, there's a piece of information that he, left, that he told him that the text left out. We see. Now they get very frightened. What did you do? Why? Well, what do you do? They knew he was running away from God. Oh, by the way, he goes, yeah, he talked, by the way, that's the God I fear and I'm loyal to. Yeah, I just ran away from him. And he's in control of everything. So, you know, it's probably, I'm probably at fault. Okay, now what do you do? 
So let's forget about the sailors for a minute. You're Yonah. What do you do? What are your what are your choices as Yonah? You see that God is coming out to you. The storm is because you ran away from God. What do you do? I'm sorry. Please get me on the next train to Ninveh. Or if you're absolutely obstinate, refuse to go to Ninveh for some crazy reason, what do you do? Jump off. Jump off. To quote David, the Elahatson, Measu. You're going to bring all of these innocent, good guys down with you? Jump off. It gets worse. Watch. Very well, yeah. Why, why does the text tell us that he told them that he was fleeing? Why does it say, because he had told them? Yeah, no, it's very weird. I don't know. I don't know. One of my students made a suggestion last year that was really delightful. And, and it's eating me up. I'd say, I can't remember what he said. I'll look it up. Do me a favor, send me an email, and I'll, and I'll find it. I'll send it to you. It was a, a delightful explanation. Why it, the text leaves it over and says, oh, by the way, he mentioned that he had fled. Uh, fled. Why, didn't they, why didn't they make it part of his actual dialogue? Um, so you're the guy who's loyal to this God, so what do we do? So that the sea should still itself. It was getting worse and worse. Okay? Uh, sorry. Right, it was getting worse. Listen to what he says. Sauni means... Pick me up. Batiluni, throw me down. And by the way, that means I'd like you to treat me like cargo. Same exact words. In a sense, maybe what he's saying to them is you were throwing the wrong cargo off last time. That big piano? Yeah, I'm the guy. And it'll be quiet. I know that I'm the cause of this. By the way, thank you very much, Joe. Where were you an hour ago? Right, exactly. And again, these guys do not want to do what Yonah's asking them to do. And the big question is on Yonah. You're so insistent on not doing your job, so jump. You want them to throw you off? Why should they throw you off? Because you're not willing to jump up. You want to implicate these guys in your death? The whole thing doesn't make sense. And they refuse to go for it. And they try everything possible, they kind of tunnel through, as it were, to try to find a way back to land. The storm is getting worse. But, I mean, you know, the storm keeps getting worse. At some point, there's got to be an end point to this. But, okay, it's getting worse and worse. And now what do they do? They cry out to Hashem. They're pagans, they cry out to Hashem. And they say, Essentially, don't hold us culpable for killing this innocent man. Or don't consider it killing an innocent man. Why? A little bit of an opaque phrase. Seems to be saying, you're in charge of this whole scene. But they have demonstrated, they have made every possible effort to not have to kill Yom. And of course he refused to jump. We get up and down, and now the sea goes up and down, and now it comes to rest. And now these sailors have a, an epiphany, 
or they have the epiphany, now they have the result, which is that they bring offerings, they make oaths, do they fulfill the oaths? Interesting question. And then Perak Bet, again, we're skipping, is that Hashem sends the fish, the fish eats Yonah, Yonah sends the fish, Yonah sends the fish three days, then he offers up his prayer, and at the end of Perak Bet, um, at the end of Perak Bet, Hashem then directs the fish to spit out Yonah, and Yonah now is on dry land. Okay, we'll go to Perak you kind of get the feeling of saying, okay, let's try this again. Now, the this, let's try this again is not unprecedented in Tanakh. There is another Nabi that the exact same thing happens. Where Hashem gives him a message, his response is not favorable, and Hashem gives him the exact same message again. Eliyahu. With a question. Who is? Eliyahu. Eliyahu. I'm and and it's interesting because if you were to draw a line of association, not necessarily parallels, but of association between Eliyahu and Yonah, you would find a lot. Which is part of the reason that Chazal then make that connection of saying that the, the widow in Sarfat, who Eliyahu went to live with, and then her son died, and Eliyahu revived, that was Yonah's mother. And that, after all, Yonah's from Zvulun, after me, so his father's from Zvulun, his mother's from Asher, and that's why she was off in Sarfat, which is in Lebanon, not in France. And, uh, and that, but Chazal is drawing a connection between Yonah and Eliyahu, which is time-wise a little bit of a threat, but doable, but there's nothing in the text to recommend them ever having to do anything, anything to do with each other, except there's so many intersecting lines. And here's one of them. Hashem says to Eliyahu, Malacha for Eliyahu, and Eliyahu says, And Hashem gives him a whole big message with the earthquake and the fire and the, and the, uh, and the hurricane and called Mamad And then he turns around and says, Okay, let's try it again. And Eliyahu says, Okay, same answer. He says, Okay, guess what, Eliyahu? You're fired. You're fired. Right. There's a guy named Elisha. You hand the reins over to him. It's a stunning moment. But it's kind of like the same thing here, except that Yonah doesn't make the same mistake. Here, it's Shenit. He gets a second chance. So I'm going to tell you what to tell them. You go to Ninveh. Okay, now we've got so far about three or four weirds up here about this book. We're going to see another huge weird right now. <coughs> Vayakum Yonah, nice, and this time, Vayelechal Ninveh. Good. It's a three day journey from one end of, of Ninveh to the other, is that diameter, circumference, Machloket. Vayakal Yonah Lavovair, Mahalach Yomachat. So he comes one day's work, means he comes part way into the city. Vayakravayomar, now we're going to hear the actual Nevoah. On Arba'im Yom and immediately Arba'im Yom takes back. Oh yeah, Noah, got it, got it. Parenthetically, in the Septuagint version, it's an Ochlo Shalimim, which then becomes tit for tat with the three days in the fish. Okay, but On Arba'im Yom will be destroyed. By the way, Nepachet is exactly the word that's used in describing Sodom, both in Bereshit and also in Nitzavim, Fochatarim. Now, you are a Ninevite. Remember I told you that we were going to meet a group twice? We met the Malachim. We're going to meet them again. 
Because if you think about the Malachim and the Rav Chovel, and think about the people of the Inveh and the Melach, they're almost parallel. Groups of pagans, simple people, who are shattered to the core by the threat and respond with tshuva. It's astounding. But this is really, really odd. I mean, it's one thing to be a sailor out at sea and there's a terrible storm and it's unprecedented and you're going to die. It's clear you're going to die. And you'll take any action and you'll take all these different things. I get it. This is much further because what happens? Yonah says five words. Now, imagine you're a member of Ninveh, which means you're living in New York. I'm sure it's on the rise. Some Jew who doesn't smell very good walks into town. So like fish. Walks into town. <laughs> sorry, I sorry about <laughs> Walks into town and says, By the way, what language? I don't know. Okay, say he's saying in the Syrian. What's your reaction? I'm with you. Right? They saw, they saw the fish school out. The sailors told him. How would they see that? How would they see any of that? Because they read Sefer Yod. <laughs> 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 how would they know? Because they were in Shulim Kippur. How would they know that? A guy walks into town and starts giving this message. Right? Yeah, how do they know? And, and if he said it, why would they believe him? It's very strange. And listen to what it says. Vayaminu Achenin Vebelohim. They have trust in God, which means, by the way, he didn't even say God. The Invenapaka just implies God's going to destroy. He doesn't say why. He just says, 40 days, the Invenapaka's going down. He doesn't say you can fix it. He doesn't say who's going to do it. He doesn't say why it's happening. What do you have to do to change it? None of that's said. You want to say that he gave more of a message? Maybe, but that's what we get. Yeah? What are you supposed to understand when it says, Is that supposed to be to the not, it seems to be just a, an expression of greatness. Like mm-hmm. this huge city. It's sort of, yeah, like, kind of glory to God's name. Yes, evidently it's an, it's an idiom of sorts. Um, yeah, so somebody sort of tried to, to, to take that direction to explain this immediate response. So, by somebody was Shusakimi They immediately declare a fast. On the spot, declare a fast. We got a few days to you know, prepare. They declare a fast on the spot. They all put on, even the little kid, they all put on, you can argue, may mean the important people and the unimportant people, so maybe only adults, they all put on sackcloth and ashes. It gets weirder. Now, you're the king of Ninveh. What are you here? Some Jew, that's not very good, came into town and said, and people are starting to fast. What do you do? Well, what did Sikiel do to him? Put in jail. It's a dissident. He's a rabble rouser. This is very strange. Vayakom, again, Vayakom, Mikiso. Which means he gets up and goes down. He gets off his chair, takes off his fancy coat, put on sackcloth and ashes, and sits on, in, the, in the ashes. Put on sackcloth and sits in the ashes. Again, replicating this up and down. The king! And He puts out an edict. Big W on that one. Big W. 
Habakar v'hatzor. Okay, we know who that is. Al yitamum me'uma al yiru'um. They're not allowed to eat. They're not allowed to graze. Umayma yishtu. For how long? I don't know, but... Animals? Why? V'kasuf sakim ha'adam v'hafeima. Sackcloth on your donkey. Wow. V'yikru'u al Elohim b'chozka. Let them all call out to Elohim. Notice not Hashem. With all their energy, everybody should abandon their evil way. Get rid of the ill-gotten gains that they have. Get back to the Christian dog, to whatever. Maybe, maybe it'll work, and maybe this is exactly what the sailors said. What did the captain say? Pray to God. Maybe means you've got to do all of this tshuva because maybe God will spare us. It means God's going to destroy us. We're going down. No question. We've got to do anything we can. What does God see? This is a very famous Mishnah Tanit. Not at Tfilatan, at Tanitan, at Sakam, but rather at Maseham. God saw their actions. He shoved their kamara'a, they changed their ways. By God changed his mind and all the decree. Alright, we're very happy. The behavior here is just really weird. But it also puts Yonah into a unique category. Yonah now is the only prophet that actually got the job done. If the job is result-oriented. Good question. He should have his face plastered in Cooperstown. <laughs> the Navi Hall of Fame. We're number one. Everybody should name their kid Yonah. And what's Yonah's reaction to the success? Now, this is something that might sound radical. Things have been heard in this building before, I'm sure. <laughs> the story of Yonah, as presented in the text, has so many strange things, unprecedented things, things that go against everything else we know in Tanakh, that I think we should consider the possibility it is to be read metaphorically and not literally. By the way, I've never had the chutzpah to say that, but they've only gone to say it. There's just, and I'm not sure what, what motivated him was that. But when reading the story, there's just so much that doesn't fit with what we know about God, about Nevi'im, about the way the world works. It just doesn't make sense. Now, by the way, reading it that way would mean that then we have a huge, much bigger job. Because instead of answering a few W's, we suddenly have to explain all the symbolism. We're not going to do that. We've got ten minutes. Twelve minutes. What I'm going to try to suggest as we look through the fourth parak and Yonah reveals himself and the dispute comes to a head, what this is really about. What the book's about and why we're reading it at the end of Yom Kippur. And here you will find another very strong intersection with Eliyahu. 
he prays and he says, this is exactly what I said back when I was home. That's why I ran away to run to Tashish. There's a little play on words because Kidamti would mean literally I ran east. Right? Okay. You know what I don't like about this whole thing? That's what I don't like. You're willing to forgive evil. Really? That's what you don't like? They talk the right. So I'd like you to look at what Yonah says and what Yonah doesn't say. And let's go back to the two stories in this novella of his interaction with others. There's the sailors and there's the people of the Nehemiah. What motivates the sailors to suddenly abandon their paganism and pray to God, or at least along with the paganism and pray to God? Fear for their lives. What motivates the people who invade to give back all the stolen goods and everything else? For whatever crazy reason, they believe this guy and they think they're going to die, so they, they're motivated. Notice what Yonah said and what Yonah did not say. What critical word did Yonah drop? And by the way, what is Yonah's name? What Yonah is saying to God is, you are not demanding true tshuva. You're willing to forgive people whose tshuva is not legit. And I don't want to be in your world. I don't want to be in a world that doesn't run on MS. Which, by the way, if we're to accept this approach, we have to read it metaphorically. It's a dispute not between a prophet and God, it's a dispute between MS and Chesed. And the fourth chapter is all made up of this dispute now coming to the fore. Now we got all the other guys. Okay, all the sailors are gone. All the ninja guys are gone. They'll come back in a few years to destroy Israel. Thank you very much. But now let's get let's really put cards on the table. It's now Yonah and just God. That's it. So let's see how it plays out. We are talking like Kachnat Nafshimi Meni Kitol Motime Chayai. I do not want to live. Take my life. I'd rather die than live. Like powerful words. I don't want to be in your world because this is not a world of a mess. If I go by the way, take Kharala, you're that upset? Okay. And that's the end of the conversation. Part two. By the way, where does Yonah go? East of Ninveh, which means he's gone further up. So it's hot. By the way, why is he going there? Why does he just go home? Watch what's happening where? In the what, does want, what does he want to see? He wants to or are they going to keep not taking Hamas or are they going to go back to Hamas? The Radak in his commentary on in the Shira in, in the Tzilav says Asher Nadarti Ashalema that Yonah says that which I commit to I fulfill he says because what Yonah did is he watched the sailors when they got back to land to see if they fulfilled the oaths they took. They took oaths. Foxhole Frumka. <laughs> Question is, when they get back home, do they fulfill them? 
if you get me out of this God, okay, you all know the story, right? So, just quickly, the guy who's driving around the line was an important meeting. Everybody, y'all know it? Pardon me? Okay, very quickly. Okay, some of you don't know. It. All right, guy's driving around in Chalain, and he and, and he's got a car in parking space. It's got some tours, and he started up team, and he's got to get there. And he can't find a parking front of hers. Can't find a parking space. I said that three times. And then he says, "Listen, Hashem, if you get me a parking space from now on, I'll put on tefillin every day." If you find me a parking space from now on, I am going to sit and learn two hours a day. Right? And just as he says, the third commitment that he's got which is that he's going to attend Minyan three times a day, a parking space opens up. That's all right, I found one. <laughs> That's what Yonah seems to be looking for. What is going on in this city? So now he's sitting there in the shade. Remember, God got a lot of messengers. He's got the storm, and he's got the fish, and the captain. So this particular kind of tree, what kind of tree it is, so he's sitting in the sun, this tree comes and evidently provides lots of shade, and it overnight blooms. Suddenly he's very happy. Now Yonah here seems to be a little bit, I don't know, a little strange. He wants to die, and suddenly there's a tree. He said, oh, he's really happy. We have names for that, but I want to cut one. Anyways, God's got other agents. He sends a little worm. Right at dawn the next day, it eats up the tree, it saps it, and the tree dies. And all the, the branches are gone, all the leaves are gone. And he sends a chamsin. And once again, he says, I want to die. It's kind of hard to take it seriously at this point, but you see what's happened. Suddenly, there's a temporary kindness in the world, and he's happy. It's taken away, and he wants to die. Again, the same line. This is where God gets in the last word. It's great, because God always gets in the last word. Wonderful. Unless you go Are you really that upset about the Kikayon? I'm so upset I want to die. Overstatement. You had nothing to do with this tree. You didn't raise it. You didn't work for it. One night it grew, and the next night it was gone. It was there for a day. And you became so attached to this thing that you had no investment in, and you're so sad it's gone. We don't realize it, but it ends with a question mark. It's a rhetorical question. I should not have compassion for all the people and the animals and, and invade my creations. What's going on here? So again, the dispute is a dispute between Chesed and Amit. And it's a dispute that takes place in the heavens and it's a dispute that takes place inside the human heart. And I bring it home right away. We are now 36 days into Chodesh Elul. We have been saying slichot. We have been sounding the shofar. We have been adding up vino malkenu. We have been hopefully calling each other to mend issues that need to be mended. We've been looking inside and looking outside, and it's a real period of introspection. And hopefully we have also been making kabbalot. From now on, I'm going to. From now on, I will never again, etc. And maybe you'll be on the right show. Everybody knows their own challenges. 
I come to Yom Kippur and it's very exciting. I don't know about you, but I, I get so excited. It's this 25-hour love fest with God. Eat? Who has time to eat? I'm having a love fest with God. It's great. And at the end of that whole experience, God says, new start! Great! But i got to take the opportunity to try to really cleanse everything out so that I can take advantage of the new start. And I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm never, and I'm never, and all this stuff is happening. And there's a voice. There's a voice. Everybody here's got that voice. We all have that voice. That says, at some point, maybe yesterday, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, and more than likely in the afternoon of your That's what you said last year. <laughs> You'll never be able to do it. Get real. You just watch how you make it to Shoal two days after Yom Kippur. Let's see how fast you say the tonight. That's the voice that's telling us it's not real. The Gemara tells us a story about the ouster of Rabban Gamliel. When Gamliel was ousted because of his continued harassment of Rabbi Yeshua, Masachat Rachat, in several places, the famous the whole story is Masachat Rachat, Achachet, and when he was ousted, they were looking for an appropriate successor. And they settled on Rabbalazim and Azariah. And one of the things that happened when Rabbalazim and Azariah took over on that great day, Bobayom, they had to add four or seven hundred new benches to the Beit Midrash. Two opinions. Lots of benches. That's several thousand people to the Beit Midrash. And Rabban Gamliel took a look at this and said, Look how many people I kept from learning. Because what was Rabbi Gamliel's approach? He had a bouncer at the door. And the bouncer at the door said, Anybody who's inside is not like they're outside. Meaning anybody who doesn't have full integrity is a real balmidot, is a real ben aliyah, can't come in. And Rabbi Ozzan Azariah said, Open the doors, let everybody in. And Rabbi Gamliel felt terrible. So to show you how much chesed there is, Rabbi Gamliel was given a dream that night in which he saw 400 barrels of ash. As if to say, ah, those guys are nothing. And then the Gemara comments, but it's not true. They just gave it to him to make him feel better. Look at the chesed. There's a story all about chesed. It's about opening the doors and letting people in and saying, you'll start here. Okay, you'll take a slow step. You don't have to be perfect to come in. You don't have to be perfect to make it to the Yom Kippur. And right there in that last couple of hours when that voice starts to get noisier and said, come on, get real, it's, just, it's not going to happen. The book of Yonah comes along and says, guess who wins? Chesed trumps a net. Yitzhak we should all be in Achtam Miyad, Chayim Tovim, Chayim Chesed, Chesed of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, on us, and all of us, and on our land, and all of our children, and also Chesed, that we introduce and that we increase towards each other.